As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live, small group, cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training, kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway, in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. Welcome to the Rocket Ship Podcast. I'm Michael Saka. I'm Joelle Steiniger. And I'm Matt Goldman. And we're having 20-minute talks with entrepreneurs teaching you how to launch your product into revenue. Check out our book at howtobuildarocketship.com to reserve your launch discount and to download a free chapter. Today we talked with Jeremiah Gardner, author of The Lean Brand. He shared some of his techniques for helping startups get to the root of what they're really about, And he talks about how doing this in the beginning and having the right conversations is hugely powerful when it comes to finding your product market fit. So welcome to the Rocket Ship Podcast. We're here with Jeremiah Gardner, the author of The Lean Brand. Uh, Go to theleanbrand.me to check out his upcoming book. Jeremiah, welcome. 
Thank you so much, Michael, for having me. Absolutely. So why don't you give us a little introduction into the Lean brand? Let me, let me kind of start with the idea, the, the premise that um, whenever you start talking about brand, the first thing that you need to do is, is define uh, what we mean by that. And so uh, to me, and I think a lot of, there's a lot of definitions about brand, branding. It's used as a noun. It's used as a verb. It's used as a proper pronoun and a proper, proper noun. It's all over the place uh, depending on what you read. And so to me, you know, brand, uh, a brand is a relationship between an organization and an audience. And that exists because as a relationship because it's something that's organic and it's something that's incarnate between both the audience, the customers that are receiving it um, and kind of giving it back to the organization to kind of start the conversation. And so when you think about it in terms of, of a relationship, um, there's another caveat in this is that um, the term branding, branding happens uh, both out of intention and without intention. So whether or not you think you have a brand or you don't, or you think that you're doing branding or you're not, it's happening. The minute that you put a, a product or a rough drawing in front of somebody, uh, you are either being intentional about building that relationship or you aren't being intentional, but regardless, it's being built. So your lack of a brand is still your brand? Yes, basically. exactly. Yeah, it still is. There's still perceptions being formed. There's still relationships being formed. I mean, from the minute that you, you know, pop something up on BuzzFeed or you uh, talk to, you know, your closest five friends about your crazy idea, um, you're developing those relationships. And those people are really your first kind of support system for that relationship. So uh, when I'm starting out, um, you know, it sounds to me like, you know, I've got I have to build this product. I have to build this brand persona. Um, I have to know what my product is. Where do I start with this? And, and how do I get that, those kind of initial first ideas about my brand out there so that I can properly communicate them to the people that I'm having these early conversations with? Yeah, so uh, I always answer that with uh, start with what you do have, which is you. Sometimes we don't have a product or a prototype to show. Um, but we do have a reason. And I think this goes back to kind of what we had talked about, Michael, in, in the rallying point. The temptation for every startup is to build their story and their brand from a feature perspective. And it's very natural to think about your product. Um, it's much more urgent and it feels much more concrete. But when features alone are the basis for your brand development, you get stuck in this feature bubble. And so, in, and in the feature bubble, really, the reason I call it a bubble is that it's an overemphasis in thinking about your features or your even your benefits. We've almost got to a place in the startup where we're starting to talk about benefits. Um, but it doesn't actually justify what matters to the customer. And so, if you think about this in terms of why we purchase things, uh, we do purchase things to solve problems, and we expect them to solve problems. But the companies and the organizations that we become champions of, that we become passionate about, are those that stand for something and have a reason why they made that product. 
Simon Sinek did some great work in terms of talking about the the why in the center and the what and the how as concentric circles outside of that. And I think that that's really important because people don't necessarily connect with what you do. They definitely don't connect with how you built it, but they do connect with why you built it and why you do what you do. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So what would you say for people um, who are starting out, they're having those early conversations, what should they be listening for in those conversations that help them frame that story about their company? Yeah, so uh, my belief is there's a concept in geography uh, called autocorrelation. And the concept kind of goes around the fact that people autocorrelate or autogather or sort around certain points. And so, for instance, you know, like here in San Diego, there are different neighborhoods and different people move to those different neighborhoods on their own um, to get different things out of that neighborhood. So, for instance, PB, uh, you may want to live, or Pacific Beach, you may want to live near the ocean and enjoy kind of that ocean life. Whereas if you live maybe uptown in North Park, uh, maybe you want access to, you know, the galleries and to kind of the culture. And so the same thing is true, I think, in the market, that the market autocorrelates and people rally around things uh, that truly they can identify with and truly they can understand. And so from a starting out perspective, I think you have to start looking for what I'm calling like live wires. And that's where do people light up when you tell that story? What is it that they connect to about you, about what you're trying to accomplish? Uh, what is it about you know, the product that you're putting in front of them or the idea that you're presenting that they begin to get really excited about? And even beyond that, the next question is why? Is it based because they've had a pain? Is it something that uh, truly they want to aspire to and that they haven't been given the opportunity to aspire to yet? Or... For instance, like Nike's a great example. If uh, you know you want to be like Mike, then you wear Nike, right? Um, or if you know, I, I love the uh, that concept of Gatorade as well. You know, Gatorade was meant for athletes and was developed um, for athletes for football players. And there's always a funny joke that says, you know. Uh, can I still drink Gatorade if I'm just a thirsty dude? You know, like, yeah, they've raised that flag. Well, that gets discovered through, I want to become a better athlete. I want to play better. I want to have more success. Maybe I want to get a college scholarship. Maybe I want to play in the NBA. All of those are the reasons behind being like Mike, right? Does that make sense? When Rain Wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep, he had two choices. Construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country or invent a talking pillow. AT&T Business eventually talked him into the pillow thing. And backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att. Dot com. That's business.att.com. 
Absolutely. Um, I mean, I know one of the things when we were building and kind of pitching uh, Brandisty in the very early days was we we were excited about some features, um, but when especially when we were talking to people in person, um, we could actually see their face change when we mentioned uh, even some of the features that we weren't as excited about or we hadn't built yet, and we knew at that point that that had to become part of the story um, mm-hmm. because what we were building people were just deadpan as we were talking to them, almost glazing over. Uh, and there was no way that we were going to sell it from that perspective. Um, so I know getting out and talking to people for us was incredibly important in order to build the story of what brand asset management should look like. And, and that's where I, it really resonated with me because um, there's a fine balance between knowing, like, knowing what features to build and then knowing what features not to build. Yes. Uh, because when you go out and talk to people, they'll tell you everything from their perspective. And um, I really enjoyed kind of hearing you talk about having that flag and saying, well, you know what, that's just not us, and that's okay. You know, like, we, we don't do that right now, um, and it's okay that we don't do that. We don't need to run after that. Right. Um, so, you know, I'd love to hear more about kind of building that brand persona discovering like what who we are and who we aren't and i think that that's really really important uh to point out because um a deep understanding of who you are and then going out and validating those pieces in the marketplace in terms of in front of customers doing customer development uh figuring out how to measure those things really gives you some confidence when you build those first early adopters and there's a shared responsibility and shared co-creation that happens with the brand at that point. And so as you have expectations that you put on yourself um, and you start to share those, people start to develop expectations about you as well. And so the temptation is to chase customers and if you ask any, you know, first-time entrepreneur, uh, who's your, uh, you know, who's your ideal customer? Who's this for? You usually get, you know, an enthusiastic. Well, everybody could use this, right? Uh, and that's just the wrong answer because there is no such thing as an everybody. Um, and so, doing the work up front of of taking your best thinking and saying. Who do we think would be most passionate about us and about who we are and about what we're making and about why we, you know, why we exist? And then going out and building on that, learning whether or not that's true. Chances are, like everything in entrepreneurship, you're going to iterate and find places where you go, wow, our assumptions were way off over here, but straight on over here. And you want to push in those areas. And so as you develop that, kind of foundation point to build from, you gain confidence in saying this is who we are and this is who we're for and this is what we're building and it gives you a filter to say we stand for this, which also means the inverse, we don't stand for X, Y, or Z. So I've been using an example of uh, Lululemon, but it's getting me in trouble because they're having issues. But, But even despite their issues... Lululemon raises that flag that says if you're into sweating and you're into, you know, the word namaste and you're into yoga 
um, you know, you we're for you and you're for us. And, you know, now it's kind of tailed off into this. If you're into, you know, clear pants while you're sledding and you know, <laughs> looking beautiful, but that's, that's, Hey, it's part of their flag now. Right. Um, but I know immediately that that's not for me, but my wife on the other hand goes, that is for me. And so Lululemon's done nothing to try to gain me as a customer because I've already self-identified that I'm out and they don't need to build anything or take my opinion into account because I'm not going to buy something for that for myself versus my wife who, you know, sees that and goes, yeah, I'm, uh, that's me. I, I do yoga every day. Um, they want to foster that relationship and they want to develop it. So that's kind of that confidence of who you are um, and what you stand for it gives you a platform to start to say, yes, we're for this person and no, we're for that person. We're not for that person um, and have confidence in how you build from there. Um, <clears throat> does that, so th- does that answer the first part of your question? Yeah, I love that analogy too because um, it'll probably be a while before they get you as a customer. It will be a long time. <laughs> it's funny too <laughs> because okay. we um, recently put up a little Qualaroo thing on our site for Hookfeed and Hookfeed is only for people who use Stripe. It's an add-on. And the question said, you know, uh, we noticed you haven't signed up. What's holding you back? Or, you know, something trying to dig at, at why they, they hadn't signed up. And we got someone writing in saying, well, I don't even use Stripe. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> right. Well, then we're clearly not for you. I'm not sure why you're here because we advertise ourselves as a Stripe add-on. But, um, you know, it's pretty funny. And and then sometimes when you say you're not for someone, um, it actually just builds trust in you that you're not trying to scam them or just take money from anyone. It almost makes them want to be the person that you are for um, and certainly recommend you to someone that they know. So um, there's interesting trust building that goes along with that as well. No, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. And, and I think, you know, from a, from a startup standpoint in the early stages, it's also at the same time building your confidence in, in who you are um, because we don't really know. We have a bunch of assumptions that we form into business plans and products. But until we head outside of our buildings and start to have conversations with real customers and really when we start to, you know, pass that penny threshold when someone pays us for what we've, you know, who we are and what we've created, um, then we start to have a better idea. But I think you're absolutely right. You know, yeah, hook feed is for those that use Stripe. And so you know very well if you use Stripe, you're in our club. You know what I mean? If you don't, it's cool. Like, you know, but you're not, we're not for you. And that focuses you from a startup standpoint, and it also focuses your customers around what you stand for. And the reality is uh, that type of focus is out of all the disadvantages that a startup has in terms of resource, in terms of, you know, resource in terms of time, money, and people, in terms of your contacts and your network. Uh, you know, all of the disadvantages that you have from even medium-sized enterprise all the way up to Fortune 500, the one thing that I think startups have that is completely advantageous and really unique to startups is the ability to focus. 
and the ability to look at a specific piece of a market that's underserved and to give them everything that they've been begging for from a big organization. One quick example of that is uh, Mint.com. Um, Mint looked at the financial market and said, hey, there's a, a bunch of you know, 20 to 30-somethings, young professionals, who should probably also be thinking about personal finance. And all the big guys, Bank of America and Wells Fargo and Capital One and Chase, all these guys, didn't want to touch that part of the market because it was low value to them. You know, the, the more money you have, it's probably going to be when you're farther on in life. And so Mint said, hey, there's an opportunity here. And they came in and they didn't just say, here, use Mint. They built their entire following off of a, a blog. And they provided free content that was geared towards young professionals about personal finance. And then said, hey, the payoff for coming to this rallying point, the payoff for thinking in this way is there's also Mint that, you know, Mint as a tool that you can use. And they didn't stop there. They said, hey, Mint's great, but there's also this tool that got built. And there's also this resource. And so they became kind of this, um, you know, place for people to gather, young, young professionals to gather around personal finance. And then just opened up the doors for resource. And of course people said, yeah, Mint makes a lot of sense for me to use. And so does this and so does that. Um, because we're all here together. And so that's our, our one advantage is the ability to focus. And if we lose that ability to focus and we become kind of blasé or bland or we start to think you know, in, in uh, bowling pin strategies of, okay, well, we have 100 people out of this segment. Let's go knock over the segment next to them and get 100 people there, right? Um, and we don't scale our focus. Uh, we will certainly be consumed by by larger competitors. Yeah, I love that. Um, so, kind of to to wrap it up, tell us the first uh, thing that you approach when you're approaching a, a new brand that you do to try to get their story out of them. Yeah, so let's talk about you know Zesty, for instance, and, and they're kind of emblematic for a lot of startups I've worked with. Um, the hardest thing for a founder to do, and I think the hardest thing for all of us is to do, is to sell, be self-aware. And so the first thing that I do as a you know, coach and as a teacher, as a mentor, is to remove any of the things that are familiar or protective against um, being self-aware out of the equation. So uh, often founders really don't like me at first because I make them get outside of their office and I make them go for a walk with me. And I take them to a car lot and I say, hey, if, if you were a car, which one of these cars would you be and why? Um, or I'll take them to a mall. Uh, for instance, with Zesty, this was a great example. I took them to um, Horton Plaza. I had no idea why we were there. We had lunch, and I gave both of the founders $20. And I said, you have a half an hour. You can't do it together. And you have to find one item that represents 
what you think Zesty stands for for your customers. It has to be under twenty dollars. You can't do it together. And I I want you to ready set go. Meet me back at this place when you're done. So they went out, uh, met me back at a bar, local bar, after they had done the exercise. And it was a huge learning point because they both came back with with things that were all about the function. And so instead of exploring, you know, why did you get this item and blah, 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 that's important. But more important was how did you approach the exercise? Did you wander around until something spoke to you? Did you go to the, you know, directory and find this is where it's going to have the, the best, uh, I'm going to have the best luck. How did you approach it? And as we kind of explored that, uh, really it was a very, you know, here's what it is, so which store would have this in? So I said, the reality is that's the way that you approach what you think Zesty means to your customer. So we have to expand that and say it's not about the features. It's not about approaching things and this is what it does, therefore this is what it should mean to somebody. We have to approach it from a different angle. And so things like that um, are always challenging. I was just in Phoenix last week kind of going through some of this, and we did some, uh, some visual things like saying, you know, okay, if, if your company was to open a restaurant, um, what's the restaurant's name? What, what's on the menu? What are the waiters wearing? Where is it located? Is it downtown, uptown? Um, you know, what's the special? Do you serve alcohol? Do you not? And why? And so the thinking behind all of this approaching it is that we learn from all different angles. We learn from reading. We learn from writing. We learn from visual, a visual angle. We learn from tactile angles. Um, and we have to start to move ourselves out of the idea that we know and move ourselves into the idea that we don't know to become self-aware of the things that really matter to us. Um, so that's what I would say uh, for startups that are just getting started. I, I have one more question before we wrap it up here. Um, Jeremiah, sure. who is your book for and who is it not for? Great question. Um, our, our working hypothesis uh, has been our book is for startups that are practicing lean startup already. Um, and what we found through kind of our experimentation, so it's very hard to experiment with a book that you can't, you know, say, read this, the whole thing, and then come back to me. So instead, you have to play with concepts. Um, and so I've had, I've taught a whole lot. We've gone out and just done interviews with people. So we found, yes, it's true. Um, there is some traction in that market. What we didn't assume in the beginning um, was that the marketing people in terms of bigger agencies would really be excited about this. And so as time went on, we through our customer development, we went, oh, well, let's, let's test this out. Let me go to an agency and say, uh, here's the concepts. What do you think? And we found a lot of excitement uh, and a lot of connection with younger, like junior creatives. Um, and yet we found a little bit of, of hesitation when it came to like full-on creative directors because it challenged the way that they worked, it challenged the things that they had learned in school or, or what was making them money. Um, so my working hypothesis, we know it's for lean startup folk. 
We know it's for startups, especially I think that are looking at um, Series A, right in that range, either post or just pre, um, getting their funding, uh, because that's usually where all of a sudden there's a massive brand spend. You know, like all of a sudden we have like you know five reams of letterhead and and uh, you know this incredible logo that we've paid twenty thousand dollars for. It's just all wasted money sure. at that point. Um, and then I think the, the alternative thing is that I also believe the book is for uh, agencies, innovative agencies that are looking to serve innovative companies. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us here, Jeremiah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm for, looking forward to uh, you guys' book. Thank you. And Thank and you. For uh, anyone out there, go to theleanbrand.com. Got me. Got me, sorry. Um, and sign up for the release of Jeremiah's book. You're looking at when? Can you give us a release date on that? We're shooting for late April, early May. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, All right, buddy. Jeremiah. Take care. No problem.